Return to Camp Blood, episode 49, Mr. Manfredini's Opus. This episode was brought to you by Friday13thFranchise.com. Jesus Christ. Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I'm Mrs. Warrior, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs in hell. You're doomed if you stay here. Never come back again. You see, Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. All right, don't worry. I'm not going solo tonight. I was just not around for the uh, interview you guys are about to hear, and I didn't really have time to get a script together for uh, Lando and the guys. Um, (laughs) If you uh, follow me on Facebook, uh, you'll have probably seen the videos of me and my roommate tearing the walls down in my bathroom. So that's what I've been up to this week. Um, But the guys were able to sit down and talk with uh, Harry Manfredini this week, and since today is Friday the 13th, I wanted to make damn sure this episode was out to you guys. Um, But before we get into the interview, I also want to congratulate um, Doug Myers on winning the giveaway we did last week in honor of our best month yet. I'll be sending him a Betsy Palmer autograph for my personal collection. So Doug, you should have an email from me in your box, so check that shit and send me your address. And so anyway, without further ado... Welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I'm your sit-in host, Lando, joined by my fellow counselors, Eric. What's up, y'all? And Nathan. Good evening, everyone. All right, so we got a special treat for you here tonight. Of course, it's the movie series we all know and love, but it's the soundtrack that everyone remembers, the all those things. And we have Harry Manfredini, the composer from all the great Friday the 13th films, is our guest tonight. Harry, how are you? I'm real good. I'm sharing the Midwest with you guys. <laughs> evidently, evidently, we're all in different places. This is pretty cool. Yeah, you have to love the internet age. We're spread out all over the place, and yet we're still oh, able to do it. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, no question. All right, so let's hop right into it. We'll we'll start with something that's fresh on everyone's mind right now. Friday the 13th, the game, uh, the development. I mean, it was the, you know, the fans that go ahead and sponsor it to make sure that it could come to fruition. Uh, getting Kane Hodder involved, and of course you were involved. Can you talk about that a little bit, how they contacted you and how quickly you decided you were going to do it, and tell us about the process of uh, going about scoring the game? Okay, well, that should take a while. All right, and so anyway, <laughs> what uh, the way this happened was uh, Wes Keltner, uh, who's one of the you know creators of the game, uh, called me, I'm going to guess it was at least at least a year and a half ago, if not more, and he called me asking if I was interested in scoring a game. And I said, well, sure. I, told him, I said, tell me about the game. And he goes, well, it's called Camp Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think that's what it was called. Oh, no, I take that back. It was called Summer Camp. Mm-hmm. You were, you're Camp Blood. <laughs> uh, Summer Camp. I knew I heard it somewhere. You just said it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it was called Summer Camp at the time. And basically it was... Uh, a story not unlike Friday the 13th, where it was a camp and there were counselors and there was a killer. Um, and evidently, I think Tom Tom Savini was also on board with this at the time. At least that's what he told me, and I'm pretty sure that's correct. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I said, great, you know. And, and at that point, I mean, they had nothing. They had, I think, they had a couple of pictures and some ideas. 
However, they this company uh, has actually created games before, so hey, they knew what they were doing. So anyway, I said, well, great, you just let me know, you know, what I can do, and I'm I'm all for it. So uh, subsequently, uh, I think the uh, the Friday the Thirteenth uh, people uh, they were thinking, boy, wouldn't it be cool if we had a game called Friday the Thirteenth? And so they started to make a game. And uh, they had a couple of problems, one being they never made a game in their life, so they had no idea how to make a game or what to do. They knew that they they should have a game, and that was the part they had right. And uh, and then, in I guess, in the process of their investigation, they found Summer Camp. And at that point, uh, they called Wes Calder and said, look, we're trying to make this Friday the 13th game, and you're making this summer camp game, which is really not that different. Uh, how about we join forces? You will have the uh, the uh, brand Friday the 13th, and you'll have Jason, you know. Mm-hmm. And Wes is going like, wow, that's a great idea. I mean, that changes the whole, you know. I mean, at one point, it's a game called Summer Camp. Suddenly, it's called... Friday the 13th with Jason in it. And so even though they had the, the money to uh, create quote unquote summer camp, once the Friday the 13th idea became viable, they were going like, well, no, well, now we got to make this <laughs> a whole lot better than what we were thinking. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, that, and I believe that was part of the. Uh, this is all me. This is all me sitting out in California and having this stuff happen. So I'm just telling you, sort of how it happened, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they said, well, in order to do this right, we're going to need a, a whole lot more money, and that uh, uh, brought about the uh, Kickstarter thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, you've seen that video where we're all at Sean's house, you know, talking and stuff yep. like that. And that evidently uh, really worked because I think they. They ended up raising, I don't know, eight hundred thousand dollars or something like that, which was far surpassed what they, uh, you know, what they were even asking for. So that was good. All right. So flash forward now. Okay, now we're making the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now we're really going to do the game. And me not being a gamer of any site, every site. I mean, I've seen games and I've tried to play games. I'm not really good. I my my friend's son, who's like seven years old, uh, can beat me at just about anything, any game, any game you pick, I lose. Uh, I mean, I remember we were doing a race car game. He was racing his car, reaching over, grabbing on my thing, going, no, 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 see here, you turn left, you know, turn right. And he's, he's driving both cars at the same time. And I'm sitting there going like, this is crazy. I can't even begin to do this. And then I've seen these, uh, they're called first-person shooter or something. Does anybody yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's where the rifle, oh, yeah. where the rifle is sticking out of the screen, and you're the <laughs> rifle. I mean, I'm right. like, this, this is just so dumb. And <laughs> and the one and the one thing that I I said to Wes when we first talked about this with the music, I said, you know, Wes, I said, here's the thing that I don't want to do is I said, I don't want to write a bunch of loops. I said, I've, I've seen games and I've 
seen them play. I mean, I didn't play them, but I've seen them played. And I said, the music drives me crazy because it's the same music over and over and over again. And then when you get to level two, it's a new piece. But if until you get out Amen. of level until you get out of level two, you're going to hear that piece till you know you want to. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to just stop. I'm going like, no. When I know the piece better than the game, uh, <laughs> it's too much. So I said, I I, I don't want to write loops. I said we've got to figure out a way to do this that's better. So then the next thing is we started talking about the music in Friday the 13th. I said, especially part one and part two, I said, one of the things that makes that film work musically is that there's not a lot of music. The music goes out a lot and fades away and then comes in at, you know, correct dramatic moments. And I said, don't underestimate the power of not having music. It doesn't have to be playing all the time. And, you know, like if the girl, let's say you're walking around in the woods or something, you know, and all at once the music fades out. And then you've got some, you know, owls and walking and, you know, just some ambient effects. I said, sometimes that's a hell of a lot more powerful. It's scarier than when the music goes out, because all the holy crap, the music went out, <laughs> something's going to happen, you know, as opposed to it, the music just playing and playing and playing. So they, you know, they agreed with me, and I said, okay, well, good. I said, so this is what we're going to try to do. And I said, we're not going to, there's not going to be any loops. But the the thing about this game, and again, these are words that I'm going to say, and I think I know what they mean, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a multiplayer, non-linear game. That's the way they explain the game to me. Okay, <laughs> in right. that there's, do you guys are are you guys way ahead of me on this? We, uh, yeah, I think we under. I know what they're talking about, but I'm a gamer. Yeah, All right, Eric well, knows. <laughs> anyway, what it amounts to is this: I think there are eight players uh, per game, and and the game doesn't. You know, when you get the game, you don't really get the game. You get the ability to play the game. I think the game exists, the 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 whole, you know, uh, amount of material. I mean, which would, would be enormous if you could actually get the game. But the uh, the the actual function of the game, I think, exists in a, a server, and you have the ability to sign in and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like they they explain it to me like you're playing poker. You know, you you sit down at a table and there's you know, seven other people playing poker with you and mm-hmm. you decide to do whatever you want to do and they decide to do whatever they want to do and somebody wins. Okay. Well, it's sort of the same thing. So, and one of the cool things about the game is that one of the players is Jason. Right. It's not a, a right. counselor. One of the players is Jason and Jason, Jason's objective is to <laughs> off kill everybody and everybody else's object is to try to make it through the night. Mm-hmm. I think I believe that's that's the game. Uh, it's not going to be easy to do, as you well know. Jason's pretty good at knocking off people, <laughs> you know? so so it, it's going to be a tough game to win. But from what I heard, like from the, some of the guys that were playing uh, beta versions, of, not even a beta version. I mean, it, they've got various little scenarios set up that 
uh, it's actually more fun to be the camp counselor to try to evade uh, Jason and save yourself than it is to be Jason because you're you know you're pretty all powerful and you can find people and mm-hmm. you know take care of take care of business. Anyway, uh, so that being said, the the way I'm writing the music is because of because the game operates that way. The music is really just one huge giant amount of modular pieces of music that can go from one to another, no matter what uh, the the situation is. And then there's you know there's transitional material, there's music that you know for hits, things, uh, music fading out, music coming in, all, all kinds of various pieces. It's all pieces of stuff. When all put together, it might make a uh, continuous piece of music, sort of like, let's say it was a film score, you would have, you know, uh, Marsha runs through the woods and discovers this, and then she's by herself, and then she does that, and then she goes to a cabin, and she looks around, and she finds uh, something, and then all at once Jason appears <laughs> and say goodbye to Marsha. Okay, so that's... <laughs> That's a, that if that was a movie, that would be uh, one piece of music, or maybe two, but it would still be a continuous piece of music. Whereas the girl or the guy, whoever is playing Marsha in a game, I mean, I don't have to be a you. You could be Marsha, and I, uh, that she might. Who knows? Maybe she's has the best chance of defeating Jason. You know. Because remember, there's always a girl left at the end of the movie, so oh, yeah. I would think that that, that oh, would yeah. be, if I wanted to be someone, I'd want to be <laughs> the one who makes it, you know. So <laughs> anyway, um, but let's say you're the person playing Marsha, and you're walking through the woods, you know, and you're trying to find some things. I understand there's there's a, a car that you can find parts to that will get the car to run. And there's a boat, but the boat doesn't work either. You've got to do something. I, I I don't understand the whole drama of the game, but those are things that can happen. Uh, and so you're walking through the woods and you see a cabin. Okay. Now, the player's choice is, do I continue walking through the woods or do I go to the cabin? Mm-hmm. So the walking through the woods music has to go out and the... I'm going to the cabin music has to come in. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there isn't any music that takes you to the cabin. When you get to the door, maybe you see something and the music will come in there. Or maybe it waits till you go into the cabin. But what I'm saying is that there's a piece based on what your choice is. Uh, so in, in a sense, when you're playing the game, you're creating your score. You're not, I'm not creating your score. You've created your score. And whenever you play the game, the probability of you hearing the same music is slim. I mean, it's never always all going to be the same because for every walking through the woods queue, there's probably, you know, 10 or 20 of those possibilities. And then there's 10 or 20 walking to the cabin and 20, 10 or 20. I mean, there's a, a boatload of music. And so there's that. So that's one aspect of it. And just to make this answer even longer, <laughs> one of the things one of the things that I've never done. I mean, obviously there's chases. If Jason chases you, or you know, trying to escape, and uh, evidently there's a 
uh, a strength meter that you have that you can only run so fast for so long you're going to run out of you know juice and you right. have to and which never works when Jason is chasing you but none, <laughs> nonetheless uh, so you know you you may or may not get caught but the one thing that's that's sort of interesting to me and I've I've had conversations with uh, Wes and and Kane and and Tom and a whole bunch of people and I'm going like, what do you suppose the music for Jason sounds like? What does Jason hear? In other words, when <laughs> I've never written the music that way before, I've always right. written the music POV, uh, you know, for the person who's watching the movie, or you know, I'm scoring the person who's in danger, not the person who's the killer. So one of my one of the fun things about this is I literally have to come up with something that, uh, you know, would be in Jason's head uh, other than, you know, that, right. that sort of stuff, which would be everywhere. But, uh, and then what does Jason actually feel like? You know what I mean? If you were Jason, what, what, what are his feelings? And I had this conversation with, uh, um, Kane and I said, you know, I said, someone who's like that, who's just a, a shark he's a killer i mean he just that's what he does okay and there's this insatiable uh urge to kill but i would think i mean this is just a thought and i i haven't figured out <laughs> needless to say i haven't figured out this jason music yet but um uh the um the the fact that when he killed somebody there's a little bit of a somewhat of a uh i don't know what the word is but a sense of uh, finale, finality, mm-hmm. a sense of sort of accomplished, like sort of like, look, mom, I did it, you know, or something like that. <laughs> just for exactly. ju- just for a few seconds, you know, like there's just a moment, and then bam, off to the next one, you know. But there's there's a you know there's a release, a cathar- a sort of a cathartic moment that he has when he kills someone. And it may, it may even if it's just for a, a couple of seconds, just right after that kill, there's a, a moment before mm-hmm. he moves on, you know. And again, I, the other fun, fun thing, I guess, or I don't know what, but I haven't seen any of this yet. <laughs> I, this, this is all just in my head, so I have no idea what any of this looks like yet. And supposedly, uh, we're putting together a, a demo for. Uh, some convention or some show. And so it's really going to be the first time I see uh, an actual visual of what what I'm imagining this music goes to. All right, cool. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned anyway, it a little earlier. How's that, for, how's that for a short answer? That's a very That's good perfect, short sir. Um, you had mentioned okay. it a little earlier, uh, and it's something I, when we spoke, when uh, I interviewed you for iHorror, it was something that was very interesting to me. You talked about when music comes in, when music goes out. And a lot of time, it's a tip-off for the audience. The music comes in, they expect something to happen, but there's kind of that lull it plays through, and it's when the music goes out, that's that's when you should expect some action. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, it's 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 a uh, you you sort of have it. You I mean you know every every scene in the film, you will look at the actors more. I mean, we we don't have actors here. We have mechanical people in this game it's i mean they're not real you know i don't think we're going to see uh that kind of emotion that you might see in a in a film but 
usually if you're watching the actors, you, you will sense their feelings at that moment. I always, the one I usually quote when I'm doing lectures or answers at a, at a, uh, uh, a panel or something is when, when Adrian King runs into the kitchen and she's protecting herself from Mrs. Voorhees or whatever it is, she doesn't even know. And she's got a, uh, a baseball bat and a uh, turkey turkey fork, you know, I don't know, but like a, right, right. <laughs> you know, you know, stick a fork in her, but that kind of fork. <laughs> and she's standing there and she's like, she's scared, you know, scared uh, as, as can be. And there's just a moment there where she, if you watch it, she sighs and, and it sort of comes down. And that's where the music goes out because I want the audience to sigh too. Because if anything's about to happen, like somebody flying, a dead body flying through the window, I want, I want everybody to relax, not just Adrian. She's in the movie. <laughs> I want the audience to relax. And by taking the music out, you can force the emotional level, in that case, down to where everyone relaxes. Whereas sometimes if you take the music out, just like I said, in the woods, when the music goes out and it's just the uh, ambience of the woods, sometimes that literally increases the tension. And then, and then what you've got to do is you've got to be very careful getting the music back in. Like after that, after that body flies through the window, she runs into the, uh, the um, pantry. Mm -hmm. And once again, she feels safe in the pantry. She's nervous but she feels safe, and, and the music goes out again. And then we hear off stage. we hear rumbling around the kitchen, and, you know, obviously Mrs. Voorhees is trying to find her, and then we stop hearing the rumbling. So I've taken the music out all of that amount of time, and that rumbling is just, and then the music goes, and then she leaves. You hear her sort of leave, and and, and then there's that moment where it's very, quiet and again adrian feels safe and then all at once on the close-up of the doorknob the doorknob starts to turn on the pantry and that's where the music comes in mm -hmm. but it comes in very high just like just one little high note like uh-oh <laughs> so <laughs> it does it, right and that's what I, that's what i'm saying so like in the game when the music comes out uh, a lot of these uh uh I, I, I'm calling them dissolve in, dissolve out, and or, you know, like if the music's been out, I, I've written just a very short thing that's like two or three bars, that just kind of eases in. So you, it may that music might even start, and, and if you're busy playing the game, you may not even notice that it started. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to come in. I mean, obviously, if if the music is out and bam, Jason pops up in front of you, that's a hit. You know that's a big hit. So I mean, the object is to try to to try to recreate that same audience manipulation that's done in the movie, but based upon how you play the game. So I mean, so like I said, all these little modules are theoretically possible uh, depending on how you play the game. I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying all this and. I've got all my fingers crossed and everything that that this is going to make sense. I've you know I've talked to the guys who are 
building the music tracks and laying the music in. And I, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we can have anything in the picture can cause a piece of music to start or stop or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, good. I said, then, then we're all on the same page. I mean, like I said, at one time, there could be 10 pieces of music all in line, one of which might get played. Mm-hmm. Depending on, you know, if you uh, if you raise the opener uh, with your two aces in the hole, you know you right. you raise all at once the game that causes everybody else everybody else's game to change. Same thing, it causes the game to change. So, okay. boy, I sure hope it makes it makes sense to me. You know, uh, theoretically. <laughs> no, it it makes sense in the clip in the clips that they've shared with fans and whatnot. The way it looks so far, I mean, I know personally speaking, and I'm sure Eric and Nathan feel the same way. I mean, it, it looks like it's going to be an absolute blast to play. It looks like going to be a home run from every aspect. It looks like they're nailing everything, and your music well, will only make it that much better. Uh, from your from your mouth to God's ears, I'm <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. That's a great that's a great uh, thing to hear. Um, it definitely looks like it'll be a killer. Well, <laughs> perfect. You'll excuse you'll excuse the noun, right? Right. Well, uh, now we talked a little. We'll bit have about... some kill black killification. We'll killify. Right. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about the game, and you went back to the original Friday the Thirteenth with some of the music in and out and that kind of thing. But we've heard a lot of rumors yeah. the last few years about a new Friday the 13th film, and every time fans get excited, things fall through, the, the person who was supposed to direct it or the script or whatever, it's just not working out. If they ever do get right. to a point where they get those things straightened out, would you be open to coming back and doing a score again? Oh, of course. I mean, of course I would. Uh, but, you know, I think Donald Trump is directing the next one. I'm not sure. I think. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's either him or uh, Kasich or somebody like that. I don't know. Or, or I, don't, I don't know. Or maybe... <laughs> Who knows? Maybe even Hillary, but uh, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, they they these. I I mean, I can go all the way back to you know Jason versus Freddy. uh, That uh, when that idea came up, which which I went, oh man, that's a great idea, and I read the very first Jason versus Freddy script, and I thought it was amazing. It was amazing. I thought. This is so creative and so clever. It's, it had humor. It had all kinds of stuff in it. I mean, because you get your Freddy aspect or Jason. I mean, and obviously the guy who wrote the script had seen every Friday the 13th a bazillion times and every Freddy movie a bazillion times. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that script didn't uh, didn't get made. And then there were probably. 13 other scripts, some of which I read some of. And then the last one, uh, the last one that I read, I'm going like, did this guy actually ever see any of these movies? I mean, it's like, it didn't even, it didn't make any sense at all. And then, and uh, I guess they just said, no, this is the one we're going to make. And this is the guy who's going to direct it. And this is, this is what it's going to be. And they made it. And I, I couldn't watch it. It just didn't, make any sense to me and then the subsequent fridays oh i can't even begin to tell you how disappointing those are. but i mean you know again they're they they're going to do whatever they're going to do there are there are people who make these decisions uh not you know who 
could just make decisions. I don't. I mean, I, I, if if someone came to me and said we want you to do the new Friday the Thirteenth movie, I'd say, yeah, fine, let's talk. You know, let's let's do it. I'd be happy to do it. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, but frankly, I doubt that's going to happen. But it would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. I mean, there's also a TV series too that has been floating around that I think right. is, you know. At one point, was green lighted, and then they shut the light off. So I don't know what's going on with that either. <laughs> no, yeah. there, there definitely is a Harry Manfredini signature when it comes to your movie scores, and it's phenomenal. And oh, Friday thanks. the Thirteenth. Oh <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, nineteen eighty, came out after John Carpenter's Halloween, and he went with the five four timing. The uh, and that was pretty much consistent. What caused you to go with more of a classical approach that gave me chills down my spine? Well, I had your spine in particular in mind. No, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you, sir. No, I, um, I hadn't. What's funny about it is I hadn't seen Halloween. I went to see Halloween later, and see Halloween to me, that stuff there. Uh, to me, that that sounded like uh, a kind of a version of uh, tubular bells, which was uh, what's the word I'm uh, talking about? So uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, um, the Exorcist. Exorcist. Yeah, the Exorcist. Yes. Sorry, yeah. a little, a little uh, <laughs> brain brain bubble there. Oh, uh, no yeah, the Exorcist. Yeah, and uh, so I mean, to me, I said like this sort of sounds like somebody trying to play. Tubular Bells, which is a much more complicated piece, uh, but but because because it had that the the, the thing that uh, Carpenter figured out was that he got to the essence of it, uh, which is in other words he boiled that whole complicated piece down into the essence of it, and in in many ways it almost had more uh, impact than Tubular Bells did. <laughs> so which 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 that's that's really a a huge uh, uh, ability that Carpenter has with, you know, getting something down to its essence. Um, and when, when that happens, you know, you've got something pretty powerful. So what happened with Friday the 13th is, I, first of all, I had never seen a movie. I think I, I think I told Orlando uh, this before was that I'm not particularly a fan of horror films. I mean, they scare the crap out of me, and maybe that's why I'm good at them, because I I get scared too. And so, uh, that at the time, you know, I I was I went with a classical, I guess you'd call it classical. Is not totally classical, but more orchestral um, uh, sound, basically because to me that it it sort of like was what's the word I'm trying to say. It it was against what was going on. I mean, it would have been easier to do guitars and make it uh, more contemporary in its in its uh, instrumentation and colors. And what I did was I went contemporary, but I went contemporary classical music uh, with like Penderecki and. Um, and there's a lot of, believe it or not, everybody asks me, you know, there's a lot of Bernard Herrmann in it. And I'm going to like, well, I said, you can't write 
you can't write, I don't think you can write any kind of film score without somehow or other thinking about Bernard Herrmann, but there's a certain amount of Bernard Herrmann in that. But there's also a lot of Jerry Goldsmith, uh, especially the score to Coma. If, remember, remember that movie, Coma? You're probably too old, too young. Well, they were selling that. body parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was studying. The two pieces that I was actually studying at the time was the score to Coma and uh, some pieces by Penderecki. And I was Penderecki, which is, when you look at it, written as Penderecki, P-E-N-D-E-R-E-C-K-I. If you listen to some of his music, you'll hear a lot of horror scores, <laughs> even though he's writing what in some cases is very religious and very serious music, but it's very uh, dissonant and very, really complicated. And uh, one of the things that uh, uh, I liked about Penderecki was there was some you know, some choral music that uh, they were singing in Polish, and Polish is a very, it has a lot of consonants and very rhythmic kind of language and you get a hundred people singing like that and pronouncing things very clearly it's quite dramatic it's very dramatic sounding and I go man I really that that is really moving and then uh, one day Sean said to me can we have a chorus (laughs) and I was laughing because I said chorus we we can't you know we can't we can't even afford a singer you know so, because uh, this, I mean, we're making this, this is basically guerrilla filmmaking back back then, you know. So, um, anyway, we, uh, that's where I got the idea of making the vocal sound was the, the idea of Penderecki's, those Polish choirs singing those very hard consonants and then watching uh, Mrs. Voorhees in that last scene where it's the close-up of her mouth or she says, killer mommy, killer mommy. And it goes back and forth. And I'm saying, oh, well, she hears voices. You know, she's hearing her son and she's hearing a thing in her head. And and that was my way of getting the killer into real one because we don't see, you know, we don't see Mrs. Voorhees till the last reel. And uh, so I had to make, every time it was POV the killer, the camera, it wasn't just the camera, the killer was present. So I had to figure out some way immediately and distill that all the way down into one single sound. I mean, it's not like you could put a French horn in and play a melody. There's there's not that kind of time. It, it had to be something that was like, bam, you know, that's it. And that's where I came up with the idea of, you know, and then I made that sound. Yeah. And everybody went, holy crap, that's spooky. And I went, yeah, once again, like I said, I mean, I literally, in a way, I distilled all of that huge orchestra and chorus, everything down into one little sound, you know, and that bang, it hit, and, you know, it's lightning in a bottle. I didn't know it at the time. I was just, I was just trying to, you know, deal with the drama. That's what film composers do. How do you... How do you tell the story? How do you underline the story as best as best you can? So, bingo. And then, and the rest is history. And now I'm talking to you. And we appreciate it greatly. <laughs> what can I? What else? What else you have in mind? Well, Harry, I, I do have a question about uh, part three. And my question about that is, with the 3D approach with that particular film, uh, did that alter your approach at all? 
Well, yeah, isn't that the one that we had the disco tune in? <laughs> yes, sir, it is. One it of my favorite seemed, scores it ever. Just, it just seemed it just seemed so funny because we're doing it three D. Uh the, what happened in that movie is is kind of strange too. Uh at the time I was doing a Broadway musical on Broadway in New York and it was called Play Me a Country Song and it was a whole bunch of country songs. Um and one of the songs in that musical was Sail Away Tiny Sparrow, which I wrote as just a piece to play in the diner, you know, uh, in Friday the 13th. And somebody says, I really like that. It's a really nice uh, country tune, you know. And somehow or other, we, we developed a, a whole plot around that song title and then wrote another 20 country songs. Uh, about a diner that was being closed, blah blah blah, and so we and somehow or other somebody gave us a whole bunch of money and we started to make this musical. So I was headlong into the musical when part three was being done, and Steve Miner said to me, he "says Well, Harry, he goes, you know, we could probably use the music from the first two, you know, just." cut it in and, and use it. He goes, but there's a few places I'm going to need music. I'm going to need opening titles and I'm going to need end titles and I'm going to need a scene in the barn uh, there. And there was a couple other things uh, where I, I think I wrote like seven or eight long cues that um, that gave him everything that he needed. Like he just said, okay, I need something here. You don't have to, you don't have to write an entire score, just write these can you do that and i said yeah i could probably do that so anyway so that's what i did so when you hear the score to part three a lot of it is created by the music editor jack tiller who took the music from the first two and scored it you know cut the music and made it fit and just like we're back to the modules now he made all these little modules that that worked with the picture uh, so I never really thought much about the 3D aspect of it, but we just thought that at one point we just went, wouldn't it be funny if there was like a disco? Because, you know, at that time, disco was pretty big. And um, um, trying, no, I hate I hate when I forget names. Um, anyway, if, if somewhere it's it'll, it may come to me in, in a little while. Uh, anyway, this guy had, had a disco band at the time and he was he had actually had, had a hit and very much into synths and stuff like that and so i went over to his house uh uh one night and i said uh, and i said you know we want to do this disco version of friday the 13th so when i played him the friday the 13th he looked at me like you want to do a disco version of this? <laughs> this this isn't really very disco and i said no it's not i said but watch there's all these little there's these little modules that little uh, motifs, you know, because it's <laughs> if you if you listen to the the end credits, it's you know, it's just you break it up into little rhythmic things, and then I said, well, we've got to have got to have that. We have to use this chord. There's this sonority that is Friday the 13th, no matter which one you pick, there's this one sonority that comes up every time. I said, you've got to use that sonority and you've got to use 
this which is another little so I gave them all these melodic fragments and I said okay I said so you can use all these and just somehow or other just put a disco beat behind it and bang uh, you know we, we should have something anyway so like two days later I went back and he goes well tell me if you think this is any good. And I'm going, holy crap, this is really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was. You know, I said, you've actually captured what Friday the 13th is and put a, you know, put a backbeat disco beat to it, you know. Uh, And I'm really pissed off that I can't remember his name. Um, I think it's Michael Zager. Michael Zager, thank you very much. Eric with the save. Eric Eric with the save. Five points extra for you, sir. (laughs) Yeah, Michael Zager. And and I think the band was called the Michael Zager Band. That was that. That's the one he had a hit with. Uh, Really, a really really nice man. He uh, he's down in Florida. I think he was. I believe he was teaching uh, electronic composition in one of the universities in Florida. He left New York. Oh wow! Nice. So yeah, really, really nice man. And we 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 had we got on really well. It was really fun. I mean, I always hate when someone says I wrote that. I go like, well, yeah, I sort of wrote it, but I wrote it with with Michael Sager, and he, uh, uh, you know, he made it disco. I mean, right. one of one of the one of the the second time uh, in my life that I've had a, a disco song uh, made out of something that I wrote. Uh, Another another time, I wrote it. I had written a really sweet ballad, and uh, somebody took it. This, this is, I'm really, I'm really revealing myself here to you. It's really terrible. I wrote a movie. This is actually in one of Sean's movies. I wrote this real sweet little. It was a children's film. It was a sweet little tune. Uh, 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 it was called Fancy Dancer, and. Uh, it was real sweet. And anyway, somehow or other it got to RCA and somehow or other it got to Perry Como of all people. Okay. Perry Como was a singer back when you guys were just children's or not <laughs> even children's probably. Right. Uh, anyway. Uh, anyway. And so, and, and so Perry, and so this guy says, Oh, Perry Como wants to record it. I'm going, great. I said, Oh man, it's so nice for him because it's real sweet. Nice. Uh, lush ballad you know so i said okay great so anyway so they evidently perry como records it and and i hear the thing and they turned it into a disco song they put a disco beat behind it and i just i was sick i just went what the hell did you do to this song i mean (laughs) you know it was it was a really you know and he was just singing it he was singing it as if it were a ballad but under in the background you know, disco beat going on. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> well, I know you got to get going here, but really quickly, one no, last I've question. Plenty, I've, got, no, I've got plenty of time. I've got almost, you know, we got got plenty of time. Uh, oh, that's, that's here, no worries. You, you want to hear another? You want to hear another disco song? <laughs> you want to sure. hear another disco story? Sure. So this is back before this back before I even started uh, scoring films. Uh, I was going to Columbia. We were working on my doctorate at Columbia. And one of my best friends, a guy named Bill Rommel, who actually got me started scoring films, uh, we were in conducting class together, okay? 
And the way this worked was that there was a little orchestra there that, you know, you got to conduct. And it was really cool. Well, you know, there were probably mm, 10 or 12 people in the class, okay, all, all doctoral students. And one at a time, we would go up and conduct, okay? And uh, each one of us would get, you know, a chance to do whatever the piece was that week that we were doing. And, you know, the guy who was teaching the class, he would videotape you and, and talk to you, and then you'd have a meeting with him, and he'd talk about what you did, stuff like that. But meanwhile, while someone else was conducting, everybody else in the class is just standing up in the back of the class, more or less, you know, making off we were conducting. We were practicing our moves and doing our, you know, waving our arms around and like conductors do and that sort of stuff. Anyway, so I'm I'm back there and Bill's standing next to me and, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of goofy sometimes. So I'm standing back there and we're playing the, we're doing the uh, a G minor uh, symphony of uh, Mozart. Which goes da da dun da da dun da 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 dun 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 da 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 and maybe you know it, maybe you don't. It doesn't matter. Oh yeah. Anyway, so we're playing it. Anyway, and the orchestra's playing it. I'm standing next to him, going like, and he looks at me and he goes, "Holy crap, disco classical!" He goes, "Meet me after class," because this guy was a huge record producer. And I, I had done a lot of arranging and stuff for him. So as soon as class is over, we're down together and he's going, we got to do it. We got to do a disco classical piece like as fast as we possibly can. So it's it's Friday. And so I says, well, we can't do the G minor symphony. I says, you know, nobody really, it's not that popular a piece. I said, you've got to do something that everybody in the whole world knows. And that's the Beethoven fifth, you know. So he goes, okay, I'll book the studio Monday. You do the charts. We'll work on it. We'll work on the charts over the weekend. Great. So I go home and I am like so stoked. I'm going like, we have, we have got it, man. We have got the hit, you know, you know, oh, it's just going to be great. Anyways, I do this whole chart, got the whole orchestration down and, um, got it ready to go. We, we've got the studio booked in New York at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I am on my way driving across the George Washington Bridge listening to the radio, and the guy comes on and he goes, well, here's something that you don't normally hear. This record has just come out. It's called A Fifth of Beethoven. And I go like, you dirty, rotten. This literally, you know, it would have been a week a week earlier, Walter Murphy, who I got to meet, Walter's a great guy. I got to meet Walter. He literally had that same idea to do uh, a, a disco uh, a classical piece. See, these ideas are flying around in the air, so you gotta you gotta grab them when they happen. Anyway, that's my yeah, other ADM. Disc- that's my other that's my other disco story. But I mean, you have no idea. I'm sitting here with this whole score sitting next to me on the seat driving across the George Washington Bridge, and here comes our idea right over the radio. <laughs> oh, that hurts. Yeah. I also, wrote a, I also wrote, a, wrote a great King Kong song when uh, when the movie King Kong came out. The, the one with uh, the, the Dino one with Jeff Bridges. one. Yeah, Jeff Bridges, no, the, yeah. 
what what's the girl that it was like her first movie she was oh the wow. Fay ray character jessica lang jessica lang yeah i had written uh, i've written a hysterical king kong song that was just gonna be like so cool we were gonna get it out with the movie and then that didn't happen either. I've got a whole series of things that didn't happen. If you ever want, Harry Manfredini tells you things that didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. So what else, what else you got in mind? Go ahead. Well, I'd like to bring up, uh, it's one of my personal favorites and I, I've, I've heard that it's one of yours also, but I, I just kind of like to hear what about part six makes it one of your favorite films? Oh, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> uh, not, well, first of all, Tom Tom is a very good friend of mine. I really like Tom's Tom's directing, and I like I just like Tom. Period. He's just like he's a great, great guy. And it, it, there's an actual. Have you ever seen his biography? I have. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, when I first saw it, I went, "Oh my God! I had no idea you've done all this stuff." You know. Uh, I mean, I I I met him on the movie. I didn't know his background at all. But I, I mean, he just really knew what he was doing, you know, his idea, his great dialogue and things. And so that was one. But the other nice thing about it was that I had a much bigger orchestra and a much bigger budget. And that really, that really changed a lot of the things that I did. I had a lot more players. I had, and I had the in time and all sorts of things like it. So I really kind of went hog wild on. Uh, or as hog wild as I could go on that budget, but I really liked that that movie a lot, and it was really good. I, did Did anyone ever tell you the story about the Paramount screening? Uh, it was it, it's a it's a hysterical story. Uh, they had a test screening at Paramount, and um, with with three hundred rabid Friday the Thirteenth fans, just these people love Friday the Thirteenth, so they were so stoked and everything. So anyway, uh, we, we show the movie, you know, people are just having a ball. It was really, it's really fun to see a, that kind of a movie with a whole bunch of people who really like it, you know, all watching it for the first time. So it was really, that was really fun. But, and then at the end of the movie, they have like a question and answer and they also fill out forms, uh, you know, who, who did you like? What did you like the most? Blah, 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 you know, that sort of stuff. And I mean, you can only, I can't tell you what these answers were like, but uh, more killing. We need more killing. We got to have more killing. There's not enough killing. Uh, could we have more blood? Could we have more killing? You know, it was, it, they, you know, they like the movie, really great movie, but it should have more killing. So they go back and they're like, we got to get more killing. They want more killing. So I think they went out and shot uh four or five more <laughs> kills that weren't because Tom is so cool. He's going to like, we're just going to have 13 killings. You see, that was, he was going to keep it at 13, but I think now there were, the, so they just went out. There were some people who just got, you know, they were only there to be killed. You know, they just, just Jason roaming around killing, killing random folk, you know, but so anyway, that was really cool. You know, there was, there was that sense of humor. You had your, uh, you know the uh, military guys, and, and there was there was just the, the movie had a whole bunch of other uh, layers to it that uh, you didn't uh, normally see. So I mean, I really like that. As, as a matter of fact, I think, and I may be wrong on this, so don't 
quote me, but I think in the game, we go back, we flash back to the game. Uh, there are going to be like in other games where there's sort of like uh, uh, sort of interludes, if that's a better, if that's the word, sort of like it's like a flashback in a game. Right. Uh, that Tom is actually writing some dialogue for. Oh, nice. Yeah, oh, so really? that, I, I believe that's going to be added extra stuff. Don't quote me on it, and don't call me up if that doesn't happen. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think I think that that's they're just going to be like little bits of information, maybe uh, something something that is not part of you playing the game, but just you know something that uh, uh, that'll happen in the game. So. And I know they they contacted Tom, so that's that's really cool. Very cool. Tom so has a one... Tom has a rock band, you know. The Sloth. They, they, no, they, they, I I did know that. The Sloth. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the '60s, from what I hear. Right. Yeah. He asked me, he says, "Hey, do you want to come and sit in?" Because I've been playing. I, I broke out the saxophone about a year ago. Because since I moved to LA, I, I hadn't played. I used to play a lot in New York. And so I practice and practice, and now I play in this blues jam thing out here. And it's like six, sometimes like we have six, seven horns. So we have this massive horn section, which is really cool and it's fun to play in. So Tom says, Hey, man, why don't you come out and play with the sloths? And I'm very like, Well, I says, Well, what songs? Oh, we, we only do our own original stuff. And I'm very like, So then you'll figure it out. It's not really that complicated. And I said, Okay. So one of these days, I'm, I may I may be the uh, guest sloth apprentice oh, apprentice awesome. apprentice sloth or something I don't know. Nice. <laughs> so one final question. Sure. Do you do you still own the original Echoplex? No. <laughs> one final answer. <laughs> Dang. No. I mean, Dang. It, it was a box. You know, it was a box. You know, it, you know, it went to the way that thing went to the way of the dodo bird. You know, it's just. <laughs> I mean, when you think what you can do now, processing wise, you know, you know, you could, you could go, you could, you could make it go right, left, right, left, behind, in front, right, left, behind, in front. You know, we were lucky to just get it to go, you know, because it only had <laughs> it only had two speeds. I think it was seven and a half and fifteen. That was it. So. <laughs> You know, that's all it had. It only had those two speeds. People always ask, why, why, why sometimes is the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the sound in sync with the music and other times it's not. And I said, because those after, after part, what happened is these guys, the guys at the mix studios and, and the producers and things like that, they went, once they get a hold of that completely by itself, you know, like there's a, yeah. there's somewhere, there's a piece of tape that goes, you know, they have this piece of tape and then they go like, would it be a good idea to put it here? Or wouldn't it be a good idea to put it here? You know, like, like they're making soup, you know, and they hey, just add a little more, you know, Tabasco here or Tabasco. <laughs> there. And before, you know, it's just everywhere. You know I mean? I remember, I mean, even in as early as part three and sometimes in part five, I just go like, 
Jesus, it's it's starting to sound like somebody's got a bad cold it's, as opposed to <laughs> it becoming a character. It's just, it's too much, you know? I, I, I once did a picture. Where, here comes another one of those rare Harry Manfredini stories. I oh, once did a picture uh, about, it was, a, it was a really interesting movie about uh, two men who came back, they're reincarnated. They, they were Indians at one time and they came back reincarnated and they fought a battle that didn't, uh, I forget how it didn't end or something like that. And they had to come back to fight the battle again. And they're completely, and they don't even know each other, but they're going to, there's going to be this battle. And, uh, it would flash back, back and forth between the Indians and the contemporary uh, time. But I, Again, like I, I always like to try to find some sort of sound. I've done, I've done scores where I use toys to make funny sounds with. Uh, I used a, uh, it was a thing that they got from Burger King that if you turned it upside down, it made like kind of a moo sound. Oh, oh, you turned it up and down, it was sort of a groan. But if you shook it real fast back and forth, it it made like the most hideous laughing sound. You. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I went, oh wow, that is freaking cool. So I sampled it and put it in a movie. But anyway, in this Indian movie, I went out and I, I got a coat hanger, took it apart, and I put sleigh, a couple of old rusty sleigh bells, a broken tambourine part, some uh, seed pods that fell from the trees in New Jersey and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and uh, any kind of things that would sort of make a you know sort of a generic uh, organic kind of sound with a anyway and so I shook this thing and, and it was really cool because cool it sounded more it wasn't like a maraca which is a very obvious sound you know it had elements of all kinds of and, and it just sounded very primal kind of Indian organic sound so and I used it in in the score. And the director comes to hear the score, and he goes, oh, my God, this is wonderful. And he goes, what is that? And I said, oh, it's this. And I hold up this piece of, you know, <laughs> coat hanger with all this stuff on it. And I go, I made this. I said, you know, it's kind of a cool percussive sound. He goes, can I have that all by itself on a piece of tape? And I said, no. And he goes, but I'm the producer. I'm paying you. And so I said, you're going to, you're going to take that thing and you're going to put it all over this friggin' movie. I've got it where it's it, it's it's already everywhere it should be. <laughs> don't don't you know you're gonna you're gonna put too you're gonna put it in too much. He goes, no 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 no, I won't put it in too much. I said, if you put it in too much, I said you're gonna ruin this. No no no, I won't put it in too much. Please please give it to me. Okay, so he gets a piece of tape with the uh, thing in. So uh, anyway, we, there's a screening. I didn't get to the mix. There's a screening, and that rattle was everywhere. I mean, it was just like, oh, my God. I knew I shouldn't have given it to him, but, yeah, he's <laughs> the boss. Anyway, so then people are going like, that rattle just never stops. And he goes, there's too many rattles in this area. And I'm going like, what do you mean there's too many? I said, when I gave it to you, there were just enough rattles. Now there are too many. He goes, yeah, we can't have this many rattles. And I'm going like, yeah, you're right. 
you can't have that many rattles. Well, and then it ended up with all the rattles in it and died and went the way of the dodo bird. Another another fine piece of music that never never saw the light of day. Anyway, it's kind of fun me going down memory lane here thinking about all, oh, yeah. the, all the bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so can we predict the gameplay based off of the classical Harry Mandini score? Can you predict the gameplay off of what? Off of uh, the an original Harry Manfredini score. We 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 here at Return to Camp Blood. We're what Eric Anderson from Part Four, uh, oh. Rob, uh, calls nerds, and we've watched these movies way too many times. And our one of our favorite characters is your scores, and we we love them. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. But I don't think you can predict what's going to happen by the score because the score will follow what you do, not what I, I am not going to be. The score in the movie may lead you and may manipulate you, but you have to understand it. it's it, in this case, it's the, uh, it's the cart pull. It's the horse pulling the cart. You're, you're creating the score, not me. By by, oh, wow. by by what you decide to do in the game, that will decide what piece of music is going to play. As opposed, if I were, if it were, see, like in a movie, your decisions, you you have no decision. You're watching a movie. The, you know, Martha decides to go to the to the cabin, right? Well, in the game, Martha doesn't have to decide to go to the cabin. So the score, the 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 player literally generates the score not the, the the score doesn't follow you know it's the same kind of music but you know if you're if you're uh thinking about a movie it's a set line there's a direct straight line this is this is non-linear everything everything that happens is determined by what the player does Very and how fast jason and how fast jason can kill you <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Ari, before uh, before you get going here, I know when we had uh, talked previously, and it's something that's kind of a staple of the show, at least whenever I'm on asking uh, our guests, you know, what's the strangest request you've ever received from a fan? But uh, you had told me a story about someone who brought you an oar to sign. Can you tell that story real quick? I got it. I, I can tell you the oar, but I got it topped today in the mail. Oh, really? Perfect. In the mail today, Perfect. I got topped. That oar got topped. Okay. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. All right. So anyway, the or was this. I was signing albums uh, over at Dark Delicacies in Burbank. And a uh, line of people, you know, a lot of people bought the albums. You know, they're, they're coming to get them and A lot of people brought a poster, you know, the usual, some, I think I signed a machete or something. And I signed sign whatever, whatever. And all at once, this one guy comes with an or and puts it on the table. And I'm going like, What's that for? He goes, I want you to sign it. I said, it's an oar. <laughs> he goes, well, yeah, but, you know, there was the boat and everything. And I'm going, but it's an oar. <laughs> he goes, it isn't the oar, it's an oar. <laughs> and he goes, well, I want you to sign it. I said, okay, I'll sign it if you want. So I signed the oar. However, today in the mail, I, I get this package and I'm going like, I didn't order anything. I don't know what the heck it is. And so I opened it up and 
it's a fan, you know, there's a fan letter and little uh, envelope with a, a poster in it that he wants me to sign. And that's pretty much standard procedure. But then I pull out this other thing and it's all folded up in bubble wrap and there's directions. And I hope you're all, you're all sitting down right now. Okay. It's yeah. a Pez. It's a Pez dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> okay and he wants me to take the the you know you pull it's got a it's got a skull on the top okay but it's a pez dispenser and he wants me to pull out the pez dispenser and sign the inside of the pez dispenser wow so i mean i can't that that just makes you'll excuse the term but it blows the ore out of the water Absolutely, I mean, that, it does. That is, I mean, I've never signed a Pez dispenser before, so I don't think anyone it, else. It, has literally, ever I got it dispenser. today, and I got it today in the mail. I was, I, I mean, I'm just going, like, oh man, I've never signed it. This is really crazy. <laughs> so. All right. Well, this has been the latest episode of Return to Camp Blood, and it has been an absolute blast speaking with Harry Manfredini. Harry, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. All right, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. If you want to support us financially, head over to campbloodpodcast.com slash donate. If you have a question or a theory, you can hit us up at campbloodpodcast.com slash feedback or comment on the show notes at campbloodpodcast.com slash 49. Uh, special thanks goes out to the Downriver Rat for our intro and outro music. You can check out his stuff at the downriverrat.com. Until next time.